Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Monday morning, the 17th of December. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. The ongoing uncertainty around Brexit has led to a weekend of denials. The Thornish to Simon Coveney denied there being any merit in a Mail on Sunday report which claimed relations between Theresa May and Leo Varadkar are so cold that the PM loathes the Taoiseach and outsources communication with Dublin to her second-in-command, David Liddington. Jean-Claude Juncker denied describing Theresa May as nebulous, saying it was the approach to Brexit taken by Britain rather than by Mrs May that is vague, hazy and fuzzy. Meanwhile, senior politicians in the UK are denying they favour holding a second referendum on Brexit. These denials come on foot of reports that David Liddington held talks with Labour Party MPs on finding a way forward to holding a second referendum. Let's talk about some of uh, these issues with Sean Defoe, our political correspondent now. And a very good morning to you, Sean, and thanks for joining us. It looks as though this is going to be pushed over into 2019 at this stage. Very much so. Certainly the meaningful vote in the House of Commons looks as though now it's not going to take place probably until the second week of January, and that's when we'll get a clearer indication as to whether or not Theresa May has actually done enough to bring MPs on side. You'd highly doubt it at the moment. It doesn't seem as though anything she got out of Brussels is very few uh, concessions that she got out of Brussels last week will make any difference to MPs actually supporting this meaningful vote. So there might be a bit of a strategy from her of uh, letting all her MPs go back to their constituencies over the Christmas break, let them hear from the businesses that are going to struggle if this if there's a no-deal Brexit, let them hear from people in their constituency and hope that it might focus minds towards a deal actually getting done. Uh, but certainly, in terms of any meaningful voting, mm. we're not going to see that till the new year. And so they'll be voting with a proverbial gun to their head uh, because uh, the second week in January is down to the wire, if ever it was. Uh, they have until the 21st of January. Yeah, that's the legal deadline for getting this withdrawal agreement over the, the line or not. So it will very much be right support this or we're going straight into no deal. And all the different sides, it was very clear in Brussels last week that everyone is now stepping up for those no deal preparations. The British are, the Irish government are. We're going to see later in the week a new updated plan from the Irish government in relation to what's going to happen in the event of a no deal and that worst case scenario from Brexit. And there's a, a good possibility as well that the European meeting leaders are going to call another meeting towards the end of January in order to plan for that very scenario. So it is uh, sort of a high stakes. We've seen this bit of power politics mm. I suppose from Theresa May before when she's trying to get things through and that's very much where it looks as though it's headed. Mm. Well, it doesn't look as though there's any prospect of anything else, does it, at this stage? Well, it 
I think all of them are equally unlikely, but also equally likely mm. at this stage, because in Westminster, there doesn't seem to be a majority for any particular outcome. Now, what there's talk of at the moment and over the weekend is that there might be this series of free votes in the House of Commons if she can't get this vote through. And essentially what that would be is that the government would put, British government would put a bunch of different scenarios to MPs, like, for example... Uh, well, should we go for a Norway style? Should we mm. go for more negotiations? Should we extend Article 50? All these different ones in order to try and gauge opinion in these votes that wouldn't have any binding meaning at all, but would give a clearer idea of what MPs might want to support. But the big problem is, I have a feeling if they did hold that, there wouldn't be a majority for any particular outcome at all. And where that could lay the groundwork for, if it came out that a number of votes and MPs couldn't get behind any one, well then the real option on the table is a second referendum because if the politicians can't decide it, there will be even mm. more of a move towards, well, let's let the people decide it and they can decide whether now whether that referendum would be should we support the initial withdrawal agreement that was rejected or should we go entirely for a second vote on Beaver Main is, is another matter. But we, I, I don't see any way this withdrawal agreement is on the table gets accepted. So now we have to look at those other options which really are a no-deal Brexit, extend Article 50 or go back to the people. And um- what do you think they will do? I mean, do you think that there will be the appetite for a second referendum because a lot of people would consider that to be anti-democratic? Yeah, there's certainly more of, of a, an appetite for it building at the moment over the last little while. We heard those reports of David Liddington, who is effectively the PM's second in command, meeting with Labour here, and he's obviously de- mm. denied some of that. There is an appetite in Labour for a second referendum. That's been their official position for a little while, even if it's not quite to the, the liking of Jeremy Corbyn, who is himself quite a Eurosceptic. So there is more of an appetite to it there, but there is still, certainly from the Prime Minister, she was very strong at the weekend, and others like Boris Johnson saying, no, the people told us what to do, and we have to go and do it. But if we get another couple of months down the line, and it's clear that there's still no political consensus at all, I think it becomes a lot more likely, and particularly if there is that threat of a no deal, or we do end up in no deal with no chance of resolving it, then I think it's highly likely, again, that we could end up in a second referendum. But I mean... Uh, there is no clear outcome to this either. There's no clear, this is definitely going to happen because opinion in the UK is so divided. Uh, Is uh, there the prospect of a confidence vote in the government this week? There is. uh, Certainly Labour MPs have been pushing Jeremy Corbyn to now go and act and to put more pressure on Theresa May. She obviously just about survived that confidence vote from her own party with 117 of her own MPs voting against her. But the timing consideration is one for Jeremy Corbyn. He does. He has said that he will put a no-confidence motion down when he thinks that he can win it in the government to trigger a general election in the UK. And the, the political timing of that, I suppose, is that he doesn't want to rally Tory MPs behind Mrs May at an inopportune time if he seems to be striking her at a moment of, uh, of particular weakness, national weakness rather than personal weakness, if you like then it could actually rally Tory opinion behind her and she would survive that vote and it would look quite bad on him. So, mm. But there is still a prospect that that will happen, I think, this week and it would put a lot of those Conservative MPs who voted against her last week in quite an awkward position. The party has reaffirmed its support in her. Now you have to go and decide, well, do I really have so little support that I'm going to vote with Labour and probably trigger a general election or I'm going to rally around Mrs May and try to get this uh, deal over the line because of course she's untouchable within the party for another year now after spiding that vote so definitely something that Mm. is a prospect uh, whether or not Conservative MPs will want to go to the people with all that's going on uh, just after Christmas I I 
don't think too likely, but I'm not sure how many of them will also be able to suck it up and rally around Theresa May. I imagine from a, a Tory perspective, uh, it's all the more likely that she'll survive a, a vote of confidence, or that the government will survive a, a vote of uh, confidence, uh, because uh, as representatives of uh, that government, uh, I suppose uh, Turkeys don't want to vote for Christmas. But there may be a question over the DUP, uh, which uh, provides uh, the government with confidence and supply, similar to what Fianna Fáil does with Fine Gael in this country. Uh, but uh, at the same time, I imagine uh, that uh, they may be inclined to vote with Mrs May. Uh, they might be. The DUP are a strange case. I mean, they have uh, utterly objected to everything on the Brexit front, and they have been, uh, but they did pass the budget for, for Theresa May. They did support different aspects of that, and they have this arrangement. Now, if they do decide to, to go and vote against her and collapse, that will obviously end. Uh, but I'm not entirely sure at the moment that the DUP want to be facing voters in the north either. They've faced a lot of complaints for business who think that this withdrawal agreement mm. on the table is the best of both worlds for Northern Ireland, which in many ways it is. It's probably the best economic outcome for Northern Ireland. And while there is a certain, from talking to my colleagues who've been working up there the last week, there is a certain portion of DUP supporters who know they'll be financially better off with no deal, but they will still vote against it because that's the DUP position, because they think it's, it weakens the union with the rest of the UK. But I would suspect that the majority will vote where the money goes, and that would be in having a better deal. So I'm not entirely sure mm. the DUP also wants to go to the polls, and they might just uh, suck it up for long enough to actually try, uh, try and get a result. But again, it's also up in the air. If a no-confidence motion came down, uh, God knows what would happen, to be honest. Uh, and, of course, uh, the uncertainty surrounding Brexit has had a significant impact on that other confidence and supply agreement, the one between Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. And Fianna Fáil has said that it will extend that agreement by a year. Is that a, a credible position, do you think, for them to take? It depends on the way you view it, OK? So if you view, if you take Michal Martin at his word, uh, he's actually doing a very good thing for the country and he is acting very strongly in the national interest here. It's really not in the interest of Ireland to be having an election while all of this is sorted out because you have a number of scenarios where the Taoiseach would probably be going to Brussels for a couple of key meetings as a lame duck Taoiseach. It was either during an election or just afterwards. The arithmetic, certainly by all the polls, would suggest that probably Fine Gael will gain a few seats, Fianna Fáil will gain a few seats, but neither will actually have any sort of a majority. So you're looking into then negotiations again after an election into what would be another confidence supply agreement. Mm. So you really are, like Michal Martin quoted this figure of four months that it took in 2016. I don't think it would take as long because we already have the framework there, but you're talking two, two and a half months where there would be no government in Ireland during a key time for the Brexit negotiations. Now, the other cynical thing, uh, if you would take a cynic's view on it, you would say that Michal Martin's afraid to go to the people at the moment, that he knows his party don't have a huge amount of support, and he doesn't want to take on Leo Varadkar at the moment in an election, so it suits him to extend it uh, and to not actually have to to face that threat. But if you just take him on his word, then he has done quite a responsible thing. He's certainly not going to get any credit for it within his own party and not going to get a huge amount of credit from it during from the electorate, as we've seen in the last few years. So it's probably a brave move from Michal Martin because, uh, uh, you know, otherwise he was facing an election where really, if he lost, that would be three elections where he's gone and hasn't become Taoiseach and it's hard to stay on as leader after that. Mm. Uh, Leo Vradker, of course, has proved to be a very popular leader. A lot of people like Leo Vradker. Uh, what about Mrs May? Do you think she likes Leo Vradker or is there any merit in uh, that Mail on Sunday story? 
Uh, I, I think the Mail on Sunday story perhaps pushes it a bit far in saying that she loathes him. I don't know that she loathes him. I would say the relationship has been quite cool over the last two years. Certainly relations between the Irish and British governments, I think they've improved a small bit in the last six months, but they are a lot lower than they have been for a long, long time. I would imagine in those sort of negotiations, Leo Bracker is a difficult character to deal with because of his temperament. You know, he's not a man for small talk. He's not a man for, the, for that different chat that other leaders that the types of a Boris Johnson might be or even mm. an Ed Kenny was in those sense of negotiations he is quite serious uh, and he has very much stuck his position the, the Irish government to be fair to them have been utterly unwielding on what they want from Brexit and their position is one of the few ones that has not changed at all so I don't get the sense that the relationship is between them is particularly warm but I, I'm not sure they quite loathe each other either I think that probably takes it a bit far Maybe a bit far, but what about uh, the level of communication? Is it at a level that you would expect, or is it, as uh, the paper claimed, uh, one which is outsourced to, to David Liddington to communicate with Dublin on behalf of the UK? Yeah, well, David Liddington does do a huge amount of it. He was here not so long ago meeting mm. Simon Coney, Charlie Flanagan, and, and Leo Varadkar. He does do quite a lot of talking, but David Liddington does quite a lot of talking for the PM anyway. You know, he is meeting with different Labour MPs across the water. And, you know, last week, Theresa May and Leo Varadkar spoke on the phone, I think, twice, and they met at the EU Council as well. So there is a certain amount of that going on. But with the Brexit negotiations, there's a lot of officials talking to officials a lot of the time a lot of the work here is done before the leaders ever get to talk to each other, you know. Mm. So I, I would certainly think the relationship could be a lot warmer. The two are, I won't say they're on that Christmas card list, but uh, it's also probably not as far as some reports have said. All right. And what about the talk uh, that we watched, uh, some of us at least, with uh, greater amazement uh, between Mrs May and Jean-Claude Juncker? I have a feeling that that might be repeated on reeling in the years in years to come. Yeah, it was great. The camera work on that, I have mm. to say, it was absolutely fantastic. Just it caught the, the tension of the scenario very brilliantly. And she did confront uh, Juncker, who can be, uh, I suppose, a difficult man as well to deal with, uh, over his comments. Now, he says he just meant that the overall talks were nebulous, not that he was talking about her, but the Prime Minister, even in her, her body language, mm. the way that she confronted him, very much taking him on. And I think she won some plaudits for that, because... John Crow Juncker can be a strange operator. We saw another video of him last week when he arrived at the EU summit and a female official came out to greet him and he just started frizzing her hair about. So he's, he's an odd man in that kind of way anyway hmm. um, to deal with. But she very much stood up to him and I think she needed to be seen doing something like that because a large opinion out of Europe last week was that she got bullied, that she got put in a corner almost and told, yeah, we know what you want, but you're not getting it. So... There needed to be a certain amount of standing up to Europe, I think, for her to be seen domestically to have achieved something. And you actually then saw, weirdly enough, some of the Eurosceptics rallying around Mrs May and saying, how dare they, those you know European bully boys, treat our Prime Minister like this. So in many ways, it worked in her favour, I think. All right. Uh, if you were a betting man, Sean, just to conclude, uh, do you think that uh, we'll get... Uh, to the Christmas break uh, without any major uh, events in terms of this going, uh, ongoing chaos? Oh God, I hope so for uh, yeah. my mm. own uh, my own Christmas plans. If nothing else, I I think there's a chance we see a vote of no confidence this week. But at the moment, it, it doesn't really feel like a stirring. And I think certainly the mood on both sides of the Irish Sea at the moment from some politicians they want a little bit of a break. So I would imagine we will see more debate around it this week. But in terms of any meaningful votes or pushes against anyone, I think we might. And these are famous last words might be done for 2019. All right, well, hopefully famous last words to you are happy Christmas and uh, thanks for that. <laughs> Thank you indeed. Thanks, Sean, 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 Sean,
Thank you indeed. Shantifo, our political correspondent. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. Now, people in Drada continue to be quite nervous because of an ongoing feud between criminal gangs, as we saw last week. Uh, it's very much still a live feud after a number of incidents, four petrol bomb attacks in the town, and uh, this follows on from many more before it, and indeed three attempted murders that have been recorded. Let's talk about this now with uh, the chair of uh, the Joint Policing Committee, Sinn Féin Councillor in Louth, Kenneth Flood, who's come into us this morning. Good morning, Good morning to you. Mike. Thanks for joining us. Uh, it was a, a special meeting of uh, the Joint Policing Committee last yeah, week. Yeah, for the first time ever, um, we had an additional Joint Policing Committee meeting, uh, which was held on Wednesday. Under the legislation, it needs to be agreed at the JPC Steering Committee to hold it, um, such as the impact of this feud on the public. Myself and several other uh, public representatives have been requesting an additional Joint Policing Committee meeting. The Chief Superintendent, Christy Mangan, facilitated that on Wednesday, where he gave us an overview of the guard operation in the town, the additional resources that have been made available temporarily in Drogheda to deal with it, and a list of the incidents as they've happened so far. And you've just mentioned there the attempted murders, yeah. the pipe bombings, the petrol bombings, the attacks and intimidation that are continuing. Now, additional resources have been made available in Drogheda. The ERU is here. There's 18 additional guards here till after Christmas and so on. Yeah. And the guards are having some success. You can see some some of the arrests that were made by having these additional resources. But these resources are not permanent. After Christmas, half of those 18 guards will be gone from Loud. The other remaining nine will be split among the divisions. So we should get about three additional. Right. Um, you can see the, the visible guard presence around the town on the beaten westry um, and around the town centre and patrolling in the estates affected mm. by the feud. All of which... Um, serves to reassure the public, stave off some of the attacks, but it really needs to be an intelligence-led operation. Well, it is a, a noticeable presence, uh, but it, it, is it effective? I mean, you have to ask yourself if it is effective when things can happen like last week where somebody throws a petrol bomb at a house uh, and it's responded to, uh, and then somebody else throws, or maybe the same person throws a petrol bomb at, a same, uh, at another house in the same estate uh, and then another one elsewhere. Uh, uh, you know, you'd yeah. have to wonder what impact is the additional policing have? Yeah, um, they, they can't stop everything. They can't be mm. everywhere at once. I, I absolutely understand that. And I understand people's fear. Um, as I say, our own uh, councillor, Joanna Bourne, lives near uh, one of the incidents uh, last week and she could see the terror and people like they were evacuated from, that, from their homes um, not knowing what had happened and, and why that the house and that street was targeted where the people were seemingly innocent. Um, whatever connection these feud and criminals think people have to the, the feud, they will act on it. And the only way that can be counteracted is by the public giving as much information as quickly as possible to the Garda mm. through whatever means they see fit, be the Garda confidential line or, or through the guards, uh, Garda station. And directly. your understanding is uh, that the family you're talking about in Yellow Batter were innocent in this? That That's absolutely what, what I understand, mm. yeah. 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 And uh, why were they attacked then or what's your feeling on that? I, I don't know about the mm. individual cases but what I do know is that anybody that has any sort of cursory blood link, family link to people that, that are perceived to be involved or supporting one side or another in the feud are now being attacked. They've The, the, the feud and criminals have cast their net wider mm. to take away what they may think is a support structure where somebody may hide out or spend the night to remove that support from people involved in the feud. My and God. by doing that, mm. they're targeting completely innocent people. So they're not 
necessarily targeting people because they're involved in this dispute. They're attacking by association. By association, absolutely, yeah. God, that really is. Uh, and this, this is what happens yeah. a couple of months ago, and, and it's continuing. Um, we made the point to the Gardaí that we have been told by relatives that their sons, as Deputy Munster said, that may have accumulated drug debts to these feuding gangs mm. are being coerced into committing these criminal acts. So although they're not completely innocent, they've been coerced into committing these acts um, to, to, to try and pay off a drug debt. But the drug debt's not going to go away. Mm. Um, the families involved, I would ask them to please liaise with the guards. There is an inspector dedicated to dealing with drug intimidation and what goes with it. And they can speak with them confidentially and try and work their way over with the guards rather than sitting back and letting these criminals have a free reign and coercing their, their, their sons or daughters into cr- committing further criminal acts and putting themselves and their families in danger. Have you spoken with any of the gang members? No, I haven't spoken with any of the gang members. Mm-hmm. Have you tried to? Or no, or I wouldn't try anybody? to speak with them. They're criminals and you should be treated like that. I'm not mm. going to treat them. Uh, I'm not going to treat them differently than what they are. They're, they're criminal gangs fighting for control of the drug trade and I'm not going to have any part of that or speak to, speak to them. Mm. What should happen is that information be brought forward to the Gardaí to prosecute them and put them in jail. Okay, so there is no talking to them apart from anything else? No. Mm-hmm. No. Uh, well, I, I wouldn't know any of them personally anyway, um, so I, I wouldn't go and feel like I could have a conversation with them, but I don't feel that I should have a conversation with them about their acts. I feel mm. that they, they should give up what they're doing, that information should be given to the guards and they should be prosecuted and put away. Okay, but without knowing them personally, you would know who they are, wouldn't you? Uh, well, I'd obviously hear names as, mm. as everybody else does in the town, yeah. And the guards most likely would know who they are. Yeah, and, and that's why I feel that this is a, a very winnable battle for the Gardaí because the names you hear repeatedly are the same names. It's a very small number of people at the top mm. vying for control of the drugs trade. They do have their support structures, but a lot of that, as I said, is, is people with drug debts coerced into doing what the drug gangs want them to do. Um, th- their names have, have been, uh, sorry, their identities, although not completely revealed, have been in the paper and the news repeatedly. Mm. The guards know who they are. The guards need to up probably an intelligence operation on them, monitor their, their movements, and, uh, and arrest them and prosecute them accordingly. Are the guards in danger? We heard of how two members of Ungarda Shikona had their lives threatened last week. Yeah, from an overheard conversation from jail or an intercepted conversation from a phone in jail, which I think um, these gangs should really look at what happens when gangs have targeted guards in the past or threatened guards in the past. They will bring an overwhelming response from the state. Um, they will be prosecuted, they will be brought down. All they're doing is bringing more attention on themselves. Mm. Um, and it's just going to bring the demise down, down the demise quicker. Well, I suppose it's a, a dangerous job at the best of times, but uh, would you say it's all the more dangerous in Drogheda now, given what we know about that threat and how two named individuals have had their lives threatened? Yeah. Um, these gangs have proven that they're not afraid to attack um, innocent people for whatever coarsely connection people may have to, to somebody involved in it. But um, they've they're stuck their head up the parapet They've revealed themselves. It's uh, information the guards wouldn't have had before on their activities. It's um, an opportunity the guards wouldn't have had before. The guards can use this this opportunity of these these people revealing themselves and revealing their activities to initiate a prosecution and take them off the street permanently. Mm. And how big are these gangs? Uh, because we heard 
reports of uh, people coming over here from England, uh, scores of people. Was yeah. there any truth in that? <laughs> well, no. no? Um, okay. The rumour mill has been working overtime from the start of this feud, and that was because there was a vacuum in the information. Um, there, there was a break in information coming from, from the guards and the authorities as to what was actually happening on the town. And in that vacuum, people fill it with what they what they think. And then mm. if you say it enough times, it becomes truth. So I did hear of a convoy of 100 people travelling from the north, and I heard mm. they were in a specific location and drawn it, and most definitely there. But I drove and looked, and there was kids out playing football on, on the field. And then I was told that there was a, a group coming from Manchester, and they were mm. staying in a specific hotel. I went and looked and checked the hotel, and there was nobody there. So the, the rumour mill is an overdrive. But we need to liaise with the public. We need mm. to connect with the public and let them know that exactly what has happened in town without um, compromising operational matters. We need to connect with people mm. and let them know that they can speak to the authorities in confidence and let them know where, where the authorities are in the town, what sort of resources there are in the towns, be it the emergency uh, task force that was, that's been set up. Um, at the additional guards that are around the town, and the sorry, the inspector that's specifically there for um, drug intimidation. Mm. You know, people don't know that; they yeah. just think that they've nowhere to go and know to speak to. And, uh, uh, and we've been hearing about these problems since uh, the summer, but when it erupted a, a few weeks ago, I think uh, people were talking on social media about individuals named and dead. Yeah, you know, uh, which uh, is the nature of social media and that rumours become fact and it's what Trump calls fake news. But this fake news also brings about a, a lot of anxiety as well and people are genuinely fearful and we've heard from residents of Money More who feel like prisoners in their own home. I can absolutely understand uh, why they feel that. I also get messages in the early hours of the morning saying that such a person is dead and they're lying in the back of a car mm. and then it's two and then it's three and then they're giving the names and then when you go and check the facts if they're not there the Chief Superintendent Christy Mangan did make this point on Wednesday at the Joint Policing Committee that they are acting on any information at all that's given to them. But that includes this, as you put it, fake news that, mm. that, that's been spread around social media. So they heard of the 100 people coming from the north and the people coming from Manchester mm. and allocated guard of resources to monitor those when they arrive and see what they're up to. They never arrived. It was a rumour. But the guard are forced to, to, to act or, or if the one in 15 or 20 rumours does prove to be true and they don't act well, mm. well then they would be held to pay and the guards have a lot of questions to answer why they didn't respond to intelligence OK and the Gardaí are struggling with this uh, despite the extra resources and uh, we're assured uh, that everything that can be done is being done but if there is to be this depletion in the existing numbers the numbers that are uh, on duty this morning uh, next month uh, well that obviously uh, will cause a, a lot of concern. Is that decided at this stage, or can that? That be? is decided. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, as of Wednesday evening, that was decided. Um, Thursday, um, the Minister for Justice, Charlie Flanagan, came to draw there. I, I wasn't a part of that. I mean, he was mm. uh, with his own party representatives and, and took a tour of the town. A lot of questions about that as yeah, well. Yeah, was mm-hmm. given um, an overview of what was happening. Was mm. put to him. I, I hope by the, the local guardie the need for the resources to continue and the additional resources to be made available here in the town. Um, as from the Joint Policing Committee, there has been accusations, but probably true, mm. of being a talking shop for, for many years. I'm trying to change that. I have requested additional um, public meetings. I have adi- requested additional meetings mm. to do that. Um, I spoke to Philip Jennings of the Ballyfer- uh, Blanchestown Drug and Alcohol Task Force, who has an initiative called um, Think Before You Buy. Mm. 
which is a, a very good initiative to show people what happens when they buy drugs. There's, there's no, it's not a victimless crime. Yeah. Um, it's, it's such a good initiative that the PSNI have adopted it up mm. there as well. It's something that we can look at bringing to draw it as well. Mm. Given that the Money Moore Estate is at the centre of all of this and uh, so many nice people have fallen victim to it in Moneymore, would it be an idea to hold one of the JPC meetings in Moneymore? I would love to. Um, in 2016... Um, when there was firebombings mm. in Because I know you're concerned that people won't go to these meetings, but no, they might be more think, inclined to do it. Do, I think we do. We, they will come. Mm. But yeah. they might be more inclined to do it if it's in their neighbourhood. Yeah. My opinion is that we should do it where it happens. It's when I've uh, suggested it in the past, the other councillors of the town have rejected my request for public meetings. In 2016, when there was firebombings and so on happening in Moneymore, and I asked for the JPC meeting there and was refused, I invited the Guardian along and the Antisocial Behaviour Office from the Council along, they agreed to come. We had a very well attended public meeting. Information came forward. The mm. Antisocial Behaviour Forums were, were put into the Council. But however, at the next Council meeting, I was pilloried and told to resign as, as a chair of the JPC. But the Guardian ran, ran a four-month operation after that meeting. They had huge success and everything was quiet. And people felt like they could come forward. However, I wasn't allowed, and the JPC weren't allowed, to follow up mm on the good work that had been done. And we fell back into this vacuum where people felt that he had been abandoned and he had no one to, to bring information to. That's not the case. And that's something I, I really want to work on again. But it's up to the majority of the members of the Joint Policing Committee who are the council in the town to agree to that and get on board on that and see the benefits of it. Okay. And hopefully this time they will get on board with it. Yeah, all right. We'll leave it there for the moment. Thanks for coming into Thank us you. this morning. Uh, that's uh, Kenneth Flood, who's a Sinn Féin councillor in Louth and uh, the chair of uh, the Joint Policing Committee. Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, as you've been hearing, Gardaí are investigating a violent attack on a house in County Roscommon, which saw more than 20 men arrive armed with baseball bats and attack security guards who were uh, looking after the property in question. Eight of them were injured, three of them were hospitalised with serious injuries and a dog was killed whilst four vehicles were burnt out. The house in question had been repossessed to last Tuesday. Let's talk about this with Eugene Murphy, who's a local Fianna Fáil TD. Good morning to you and thank you indeed for joining us morning, here on the programme this morning. Take us back to last Tuesday uh, to put this into context for people because uh, there was a lot of anger locally about how this house was repossessed and uh, the people who'd been living in it were evicted. That's correct. Uh, I happened to be in Dolan uh, very late on Tuesday night and uh, I got a call or two uh, to say this had happened uh, on Tuesday uh, and that people were very concerned. Uh, I made contact with a number of people in the region and found out that to be true. Now, the uh, message that I got initially was that there had been, you know, um, what people would consider heavy-handed tactics uh, used uh, by the uh, uh, people involved in in, in, in this uh, eviction. And, of course, that angered people. Mm. And there were rumours about where they came from and uh, who they were. And uh, I suppose, you know, nobody wants to like to see people, their neighbours, whatever, uh, thrown out of their homes in, in that way. Now, whatever the circumstances of this case are, I think we have to be really careful about uh, the eviction process and how it's carried out. Mm. And naturally, the people of the area, first of all, uh, unreservedly condemn the uh, violence of uh, early Sunday morning. But if any heavy-handed tactics were used in the eviction process, 
they unreservedly condemn that as well. Uh, and what do you mean heavy-handed? Would that mean forcibly removing somebody from uh, the property and the grounds of the property? Well, I'm very uh, aware of the fact now that we have a criminal investigation and that it is a crime scene, but uh, what I've been told by some people, they were close at hand, that um, when they when those people were challenged in, in a non-violent way, that, um, well, they were inclined to push people back uh, and push people out of the house. Now, that's as much as I know at this stage. Okay, well, I know, there's... I, a, I know the family, mm, Michael, mm, very well. I mm. grew up with them, I went to school with them. I live a few miles down the road from them, so mm. I know the situation very, very well, and I know the family very well. And obviously, that is, is it's upsetting when you know them, and it's upsetting mm. the people in the region, particularly uh, so close to Christmas, that we would have this uh, unacceptable situation. Okay. Well, I suppose like a, a lot of these things, uh, these days, somebody had a phone in their pocket and they took a, a video last Tuesday uh, when uh, the people were being uh, evicted. And uh, just to give our, our, our listeners uh, some understanding, we'll just take a, about a minute just to listen to a, a little bit of the interaction uh, between the security guards who were uh, evicting the residents and indeed uh, the supporters as well as the residents themselves. I have to it really was terrible to watch as the residents were forcibly removed and I don't think there's any doubting that from the footage that we saw on social media. We'll just take a little listen to it now. He will be responsible. Give me your hand. That's one of your own. That's one of your That's a disgrace. You should be ashamed of yourselves. Don't fight them, Paul. They're in the wrong. They know they're in the wrong. They're all on Facebook at the moment. I won't take it away. I won't take it away. I won't take it away. Don't don't let fucking hand me. I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. Yeah. Your men are assaulting us. You should be ashamed of yourself. Fellow Irish man, yeah, should be. You're a disgrace. You're English. British. British. Oh yeah, British bastard. You ran once before. You'd be run again. Uh, that's uh, just a, a, a little flavour. It's hard to get uh, a feel for what was happening there, but uh, at times you could see people in headlocks and there was struggling going on. Uh, and it was the security guards who were removing the residents from the pres- pre- pre- from the premises and the grounds of uh, the premises, while Scardi stood uh, outside uh, watching on. Eugene Murphy, Finnefall TD, is on the line with us. Uh, and you made uh, some reference earlier on to how one of uh, the security guards, as we heard there, uh, told one of the protesters that he was British. Yes, and uh, you look, I mean, the, 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 the way evictions are done is quite disturbing, and I know how angry local people are, and I know how upset neighbours were, and they did not want to see this happening. There are three people, there were three people in that house, uh, uh, two brothers and a sisters, they're in the mid-50s, one of them early 60s, very well known, and certainly, you know, what was happening was very, very disturbing to local people. And this brings me back to the point that I would like to see us look at our legislation, Michael, in terms of how evictions take place. It should be definitely a last resort, but there should be no heavy-handed tactics. And I, I'm very much of the opinion that negotiations should be the way this is done and not bringing in, you know, um, um, these type of companies to evict people. I mean, are these people licensed? We don't know who they are. Uh, do they operate mm. under the legal system? 
There are many questions I will be asking the Minister for Justice and government this week in the Dáil if we get an opportunity. What, we do need to address those issues. What's your understanding of the security on the House since last Tuesday? Because it seems amazing to think that there were eight security guards in that House last night uh, when these hoodlums arrived. Well, I can only go from what, I, what, what I'm being told. Now, even though I know the family very well, I failed to, to make contact with them individually. But um, obviously, uh, tensions are very, very high in the region. It is quite a volatile situation. And evictions, uh, as they happen, uh, you know, do cause a lot of distress. Now, I mean, obviously, um, the Garthi, this was a this was a court warrant. It was it was it was legal under the system, uh, and the Garthi obviously have to co- cooperate with these situations. Mm. Um, the, the 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 I would say there was increased security because of the uh, because when the eviction was carried out, it is it did cause a lot of distress. Look, mm. I'm very conscious of, of the criminal investigation now. Mm. So I need to be careful of what I'm saying. Sure, and we we, 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 we heard no the distress in the voices of the protesters that were there last Tuesday, but more people even more distressed watching the video as I described it uh, and how people were being forcibly removed from the property. But I. Uh, as much as the security firm might have been expecting trouble, they couldn't have expected what happened last night. As I understand it, there's no lights in the area and these fellows arrived in the dark of night, uh, barricaded roads with bales of hay uh, and then set about their business. Uh, and it, it seems as though there was no holding back. Yes, and while I'm very angry about the way the eviction was was carried out, I think one has to, without uh, any hesitation, uh, totally say that what happened uh, early on Sunday morning is, is not acceptable. Uh, we can't have violence in these situations, despite the anger of people. Uh, what I am trying to do now is get a, a meeting with KBC Bank in the hope that they will allow the family back into the house at least. I understand from the from what I know about it now, and the family had not approached me. Uh, you know, uh, there are a lot of, uh, there's a lot of material going up on, 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 on social media with saying, mm. like, why didn't we do something about it? But if you don't know about a personal situation, you can't deal. I have, for numerous families, you know, dealt with banks and in many cases it's worked out, the negotiations worked out but what happened last night uh, on early on Sunday morning is unacceptable uh, totally to the community and uh, that is not the road to go down and that's why I've appealed for CAM and people to stand back and I am calling on the bank, the bank do need to listen to what the Rockford people are saying, once we get the okay from the family, we need to sit down with KBC Bank and at least get those people back into their home. That is an absolute necessity. And this can be solved. I have no doubt as to what I know now. This can be solved and can be solved by negotiation. All right, I have to leave there. Thank you indeed for joining us this morning. Thank, That's, you, thank you indeed. Fianna Fáil TD, Eugene Murphy. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Maggie McGuire joins us with some of the calls and text messages that have come to us this morning. Good morning to you, Maggie. Morning, Michael. How are you doing? I'm very well, thanks. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Good. good. Busy on the phones? It has been a busy morning, all right. Yeah, we've had a couple of um, topics that are particularly um, firing people up this morning. Um, Brexit being one and the Drogheda feud being the other. Mm. Um, so I'll start off with Brexit. And um, Margaret contacted us to say that she's sick to the teeth of hearing about Brexit at this stage. Every day she says it's all over the newspapers, all over the radio and all over the TV. Mm. She realises how important the process is but says, but she's saying that after hearing about nothing else for the last two years she'd yeah. happily never hear it mentioned ever again. <laughs> well I'm with Margaret on that one. Yeah. I think the whole country yeah, with yeah, Margaret yeah, on that yeah, one. Yeah. Um, Kira is wondering is there any chance at all that the, that the Brexit would be scrapped at this stage or are we, you know, or are we possibly looking at a second referendum? Mm. Has it gone beyond 
um, the point where, you know, it was a point of no return at this mm. stage, really. She just says that it seems very confusing and she wants to hear the end of it. OK, well, I think the answer there is yes, yes, yes. And yes, yes and yes because yes. I think everything is possible Absolutely. at this stage yeah. this is it that's the whole that's the whole situation and mm. Sarah was in contact to say that all she wants for Christmas mm. is an agreement on the Brexit issue because she says she doesn't know if she can listen to it um, for another year mm. and she just wants the whole thing sorted so we can all move on and return to some sense of normality she's not singing that popular hit is she if you love Brexit like I love Brexit is that a popular hit I <laughs> oh, no, not that's, that. that's that's my strange mind is I that, beg your pardon is that your favourite Christmas song at the moment absolutely okay yeah. well, whatever floats your boat and um, Mark was in contact with us to say that um, he wants to know if we can all make a pact at the end of this week to hold off on talking about Brexit until the new year because Lord knows we all need Mm. a reprieve from discussing it all the time it's dominated the news for so long now so if all of those involved in the talks could could please, please, please just give us a break over the holidays Mm. then it'd be much appreciated Well I think that's how we ended up the conversation with Sean Defoe this morning hoping that there will be a Christmas break and that uh, they'll park it and go on their holidays I think everybody's open for that one and Mm. on the subject of the TD's um, Christmas break Anne actually has more plans for them if they're not dealing with Brexit she has other plans for them instead It's unusual isn't it before you get to Anne's comment uh, to hear people hoping that the politicians go on holidays because that's effectively what they're saying just isn't don't it? Them, don't yeah. we, no offence or anything like but I think we've, yeah. just, we've just heard so Normally much Normally they're giving out saying why, 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 how, why do they need so many holidays? Everybody's like take an extra yeah. break off mm, you yeah, go yeah, go yeah, off yeah. early <laughs> Absolutely. Here's your coat Yeah exactly yeah, don't let the door hit you on the way out um, but uh, Anne again obviously on the Christmas issue was saying that um, she thinks that the TDs and Senators actually being different to everybody else mm. should cancel their Christmas holidays Oh right Yeah, yeah. and mm. they should spend the holidays working on tax tackling the housing problem instead. She said that the Taoiseach had the cheek a few weeks ago to suggest that hospital staff should should cancel their holidays to tackle the hospital overcrowding, etc, mm. etc. Et so why shouldn't the same rule apply for public reps? If they're not able to sort out the key issues affecting the country during Dáil term, well, then they should spend the holidays doing it instead. All oh, right, OK. Well, I'm sure that even when the Dáil is in recess, the politicians are working and working hard in their constituencies and so on. Uh, I don't uh, think that they'll be casting the holidays. There might be questions about how long the holidays are or why they need so many holidays, mm. uh, but I, I would think at the same time that everybody is entitled to a, a break over the Christmas period. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And uh, moving on to the issue of the drought of food, which you were discussing with Kenneth yeah. earlier. Um, Tommy says that he thinks the town's reputation has been irreversibly tarnished by what's gone on over the last few months. Um, drought will soon be a no-go area for many people. He said he's already had people saying to uh, asking him if he feels safe living there, like people that he would meet in work and stuff like that, because mm. he works outside of the town. And he said, you know, people are asking him, do you feel safe there? Like, would you mm. be happy letting your kids play out in the street, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. Yeah. And many of them are saying to him that they wouldn't feel comfortable visiting the town at the minute. Yeah. So he's saying that the ta- the gangs are destroying the town, basically, and more needs to be done to stop them. All right. Well, uh, just uh, saying last week uh, that the reputation could be a little bit like Limerick, uh, and uh, you say Moy Ross, and people think of Limerick and mm. knife attacks and so on. And to some degree, uh, it is. Unfortunately, the truth that that's the case with Money More. Money More is the new Moy Ross. This is it. That's mm. the association that people yeah. have with it, you know. Yeah. Um, John has said that it's official now. Drogheda um, has officially got a, a really bad name for itself. Um, he said all of those involved in the ongoing feud should stand up and take a bow. Congratulations, he said. You've successfully ruined more than just your own lives. Mm. You've ruined the reputation of the entire town. Right, OK. And on the same subject, Mary is saying she hopes the gang situation sorts itself out before it's too late. She's worried about the impact on um, the town's hosting of the FLA next year, basically. 
and whether or not that will raise questions about whether or not it's a suitable venue. Mm. Um, she's saying she's um, hoping that it's not a case that you know the decision yeah. is reversed or mm. reconsidered because yeah. of the bad press the town has been getting. She said she couldn't blame them if they wanted to reconsider yeah. it. Yeah, well, I mean, you think about it. I mean, people used to joke about going on holidays to Limerick. Yeah, you know. That's it. Yeah. That's it. So yeah, mm. sarcastically, obviously, obviously like, you know, yeah. yeah. And I mean, obviously, there's always been good people and good areas uh, in Limerick, uh, and some people are unfortunate to live in areas uh, that have uh, been hijacked uh, by these gangs, uh, which uh, seems to be the case. Although this is a, an issue, as we've been hearing, that's spreading out right across uh, the town of Drogheda. Yeah, mm-hmm. and staying with the same subject, Anne is saying it's great to see extra Gardaí on the streets, but she's wondering why they don't have visible Gardaí patrolling at all times in in the particularly troubled areas mm-hmm. of the of the town until this whole situation is squashed um, she realises the cost of such a measure but surely it's cheaper than sending out the fire brigade every night to put out fires caused yeah. by petrol bombs mm-hmm. so yeah I suppose that's probably something that a few people have been saying on the phones this morning to be right. honest with yeah. you you know yeah. Yeah. Um, mm. Mary again is saying she doesn't know if having the extra guardian on the streets is going to be a deterrent uh, these lads seem to think they're above the law and they've no fear whatsoever of the guards while the extra guards are very welcome and make the, t- the people of the town feel a little bit safer she wonders how effective they can be really OK yeah well Kenneth Flood bringing uh, an interesting dimension to it uh, this morning saying uh, that people who are not involved in the feud are being attacked because of their association perhaps the with people in yeah Involved, yeah. Which is very frightening, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. to think that somebody who is just going about their everyday life, living their life, doing their mm-hmm. own thing, and, and they're just being victimised in that way just because they know somebody. Yeah. You know? Or they're related, related somehow, to somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Somebody they may not have ever spoken to or spoken to in mm-hmm. years, and yet they're still tainted by mm-hmm. association, yeah. you know. And it's no joke. It really is no joke. And, no. you know, not looking for dramatic headlines or anything like that, but I do have to keep repeating uh, what Eamon Wolf, the chief fire officer, said. If you throw a petrol bomb into somebody's sitting room, you might as well be firing and a gun at them into, because yeah. it's uh, as much of a, a threat to life. Well, that's uh, it. I mean, it was a very strong mm-hmm. statement for Eamon to have made on the programme mm-hmm. at the mm-hmm. time, and I don't think it's something he would make lightly, you no. know, so no. it really mm-hmm. does have to be taken that way. It is a, it is a massive threat in somebody's life, you know. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And um, John on the same issue as well was talking about uh, the issue of, of you know the drug gangs and the mm. drug trade in general and he was saying that if those who use these drugs for recreation or for social purposes mm. that he puts it he was saying like those who would be more so are so higher up maybe on the social scale as such if mm. they stopped buying these drugs for a few months then the suppliers would take a real financial hit yeah. he's saying that it's those who should know better who are funding this terrible trade but they're not the ones who are feeling the horrible effects of well, it well there's still some truth in that of course the they're payrolling it and Absolutely. Uh, it's all about money uh, the drugs are what's being sold and making the money and mm. so on but it's all about money uh, and wealth and so on and that's uh, what the gangs are fighting over that and power well, you know, yeah. really just, just mm. to get, get yeah. access to as much money as possible, you know, and mm-hmm. that's what it's all about. And unfortunately, it's ordinary people on the street who are being affected by it. Well, that's it. And if you're buying their drugs, you're paying them for their trade. Absolutely. And uh, that's uh, something, I suppose, for everybody to think about if uh, they are using drugs. And uh, some would say that it also makes the argument for legalising some of these drugs. Yeah. True, and uh, I'll just finish up with this one. Actually, we had Jack um, from Drogheda in contact with us. He was part of the demonstration against the proposed name change of Our Lady of Lords in Drogheda um, last Saturday. This is the hospital, of the course, hospital, yeah. yeah. And he just wanted to let people know that we are ha- that they're having a public meeting tomorrow night, Tuesday, in the West Court Hotel in Drogheda at seven pm. And he said that 
um, they're looking to start a petition to hold on to the name of the hospital and everyone is very welcome. Okay, well, thanks for that, Jack. Uh, that's uh, tomorrow in... Tomorrow tomorrow evening, Tuesday night in the West Coast Hotel in Drogheda at 7pm. And actually, I have one more comment okay. just to read out yeah. for you, mm-hmm. Michael. Jimmy mm-hmm. was in contact with us today to let mm-hmm. us know that it's Pope Francis's birthday and he's 82 and he was wondering if you'd read it out in the station or but that now be considered offensive to some people. Oh, okay, right. Uh, mm-hmm. Why? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't, don't know, know why he yeah, thought it would yeah. be offensive, but it's the Pope's mm. birthday, so happy birthday to the Pope. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Mm. All right. Thanks for that, Mackie, and uh, everybody who has been in touch with us today. If you'd like to add to what's been said, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 1850-715-958. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now to the confidence and supply agreement uh, that Fine Gael has with uh, Fianna Fáil. Uh, the Fianna Fáil leader, Michal Martin, told uh, the Dáil last week uh, that his party would continue in that arrangement uh, for another year, as was expected. We're joined this morning by local TD, Thomas Byrne. Good morning to you and thanks morning, for coming into us. Uh, this is what was expected. Uh, it would be unthinkable for Fianna Fáil to go to the polls at this stage. Well, I think it would be unthinkable uh, in the middle of the Brexit negotiations and we certainly said that, and we certainly, um, Michal gave a, a you know carte blanche to the government in terms of what they needed to do for Brexit, uh, but before the end of March. So Fianna Fáil was never going to call an election or be responsible for calling an election uh, before the end of March. Um, and I think that in the last few weeks uh, and months, we have been, um, you know, reviewing the conference supply agreement, thinking about what the options are for the future. First of all, for the country. Mm. Second of all, obviously for the party. Yeah, and, and looking at what those options were, so mm. what we what we I suppose considered, and we, a lot of us would have had private conversations with Michal, and, and I think ultimately he made the decision, having consulted with the rest of the parliamentary party, and it has to be said, uh, the wider membership, and I think it's been acknowledged that not everybody is is 100% happy with his decision. But what he has said was that he will leave 2019. I mean, the, the situation with Brexit is still so uh, difficult that it trumps absolutely everything in the country. The British economy, for example, uh, has already fallen as a result of Brexit. Uh, and, the, and obviously Brexit is a huge threat to our economy. Mm. Uh, so we felt that it was better to make sure uh, that there was some stability uh, in the state. Uh, that we would, you know, and, and that the a government would continue. Now, bear in mind, we would mm. rather have been that government, uh, but that that government would continue through 2019, uh, I suppose, firmly fixed on Brexit, us holding the government to account and insisting on uh, our policies be implemented as best as they can be, uh, but making sure that the government has that strong direction uh, when it goes abroad, when it goes to Brussels to deal uh, with the important issue of, of Brexit. And, and what has happened? Because representatives from both parties have been meeting for some time now. Uh, would you say that a review of the current agreement has been held? Oh, it has, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've. And what's the conclusion of that? Well, I mean, look, I mean, you don't really need us to issue a formal report to know what the conclusions are. There have been some successes. Um, gather numbers are up. Um, we've got the puberty teacher race. Sorry, hang on. Yeah, we've no, got the I just teacher race down. I said, like I'm saying that really first. There are some successes, mm, mm, but mm. clearly there are some failings as well. Mm. And I think part of the issue, part of the purpose of the review, was to go beyond uh, the bland political answers that ministers give in the doll because they often try to, you know, wash things out in the doll or, or say, mm. "Oh, we're doing this, we're doing that." Actually, to talk to civil servants and civil servants are not going to talk in a political fashion uh, but I think it is fair to say uh, that colleagues did get significant information from civil servants mm. about what the blockages are why is the health budget the way it is uh, what are the blockages in relation to housing uh, that we don't know about and what are the blockages in relation to broadband so mm. there has been significant so, work so, done so on that So how did the Fianna Fáil representatives brief your party leader? 
Well, I mean, the, the it wasn't a report, the, was the it? The briefing of the party leader was a matter for them. I mean, what would have happened was there was ongoing talks with the party leader as the negotiations were going mm. on. In my case, I would have been dealing with education. Now, when I went into education, uh, first as spokesperson, I looked at what was in the confidence supply agreement there and I made sure uh, that this, the, the issues that were there were priorities to be delivered. And by and large, in education, mm. uh, there was a limited number of priorities there, but they're very important ones. And by and large, they have been delivered. Now, we'd like to make some further progress mm. on them. Uh, but we have got the... You okay, know, the, but with respect to you, you're, say, you're, say, you're saying a lot, but you're not really saying anything. No, but I'm, I'm you're tell- talking a lot without I'm, saying anything. I'm, I'm telling you what, what But happened. where's the report? Where's the conclusions? Well, there, there is no report published. Mm. Um, well, so what's the basis for extending this agreement? The basis is, as Michal said last week, that Brexit was the overriding consideration that in the normal... So there wasn't in, a review? In the, there was a review, and it went on for, about, I don't know, about a month or so, or maybe two months, actually. Mm. Um, but there, there, that Brexit was just so overriding... Uh, that we felt that we had to continue in the situation that we were okay, in. But normally that you well, would go for an election. Well, Bear in mind we're not re- even three the, years the, into this doll. The review didn't matter. Oh, it did matter very, very much. Oh, it absolutely did matter. It because, did matter. Oh, absolutely. But I thought Brexit was so overriding that you couldn't not continue with the arrangement. But we're also going to have to continue uh, focusing on the policies that matter mm. to people on the ground. So what did the review the, say? Well, the review, as I said, you don't need to... I mean, <laughs> There's no review. You, you don't, there, there was a review, and it went on for a long, long mm. time. And, you know, we would, we would be using the information that we gleaned from the review. Now, in hold terms on, of there's members of Fianna Fáil who are saying, this is just... Uh, Sellout. Uh, we're in a straitjacket, I think is what John McGuinness said. Mark McSharry was imploring me all Martin not to continue with the and arrangement. I, I, uh, sorry, and both of them and want both listen, both of them wanted to go into coalition with Finnegale after the election, after we had said that we wouldn't go into coalition mm. with Finnegale. So there are different views on different matters within but surely, Fall, and that's going to happen. But surely you need to communicate with the membership and put forward the report and make your case and say this is the basis well, for continuing I, Well, it. sorry, Michal did make that case at the Parliamentary Party on, on Tuesday evening. Not everybody was able to be there. I was there and he made a very strong case for it and it was accepted by the vast majority of members of the Parliamentary Party. That's the reality of it, Michael. And I think particularly when you look at the contrast of what's going on in England where there's a national collapse at the moment where there's mm. no direction, where you know f- former government ministers who just resigned a couple of weeks ago were accusing uh, Theresa May of not acting uh, in the national interest. Now we know people like Boris Johnson are not acting in the national interest, but when that's the accusation is made against, uh, you know, Boris senior Johnson leaders, would say the opposite, I, opposite. Pardon? Boris Johnson would say the opposite. It, well, he, yeah, exactly. And Theresa May, but, but there mm. are serious politicians there who normally don't have an axe to grind. Mm. But really, he, really he, Well, he'd say he's acting in the national interest. And I think I think all you have to do is look at the television last Tuesday or during the week or today or whenever mm. in relation to what's happening in England. See that and, and see when you look at the economic sta- stats mm. and see the damage that that's doing uh, to the UK economy. Do we want to inflict the same kind of damage there? And the damage that's happening is because of the uncertainty. It's not. It's because of, it's because so they have Brexit and they haven't got mm. uncer- they haven't so got certainty in relation to it. That's the reason for continuing with the arrangement. That is the reason for continuing see, see, with the arrangement. I can understand but that. Part, yeah, see, but, that, that is, I can, but there's other stuff about there was a review and there's good bits and there's bad bits and sorry, la sorry, la 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 la. Hang on a second, but that's true as well because mm. you know. Le, le, let's be clear. When this review started. You know, we had Leo Varadkar actually saying we should call an election. Mm. And actually, the Brexit situation looked pretty good. I don't think anybody envisaged that we would get to Christmas without a Brexit agreement in place, at least in the, on the UK side. So there's an agreement agreed. We had the Taoiseach, you know, with 
tweeting photographs of Minister McEntee, etc., delighted with this agreement, and it has gone nowhere. Uh, and I think that, you know, th- that was maybe not to be expected. I think Michal actually was one of the people urging caution, urging the Irish government to be cautious about this. Mm. I think that caution that Michal uh, expressed a number of months ago was proven to be correct. And I think we still have to have that caution to protect our country and to protect our economy. And who better than us to know what can happen if, mm. if that caution is thrown to the wind? We have to be really, really careful about how we go forward over the next year or so. Yeah, are you concerned uh, that uh, the government you're propping up is headed by somebody Mrs May apparently loathes, if you're to believe that newspaper report? No, that wouldn't concern me at all. I think, you know, Prime Ministers and Taoiseach have had various relationships over the years. Now, it has to be said that when you look at the relationship that Bertie Hearn had with Tony Blair and Abbott Reynolds mm. had with John Major, mm. uh, I think that that has generally led to better progress. The relationship with Charles Hawhey and Margaret Thatcher didn't lead to much progress. Mm. Uh, Gareth Fitzgerald and Maggie Thatcher, again, led to the Anglo-Irish Agreement. They didn't particularly like each other either, it has to be said. Um, but, yeah, it's better when there's a warm relationship. Now, one of the criticisms that we would have had of Leo Fradka was he didn't really maintain contact. Um, say, over the last six to eight months, there wasn't a huge amount of contact between uh, Dublin and London, Dublin and the DUP. Uh, and I think that's that's something that we would have pointed out at the time. And I think he, re- he really needs to make that relationship work. It is really, really important uh, that the Taoiseach and the Prime Minister have a good mm. relationship. So, you know, I don't know whose fault that is, but I know that there is a responsibility on each side to make sure that it works because it is in the national interest for this country. Whatever people thought of Bertie Ahern, he was good at forging relationships and uh, I, I think uh, most people would uh, well, He certainly had a very close relationship yeah. uh, with uh, Bertie Ahern. And it has to mm. be said, Brian Cowan with, uh, with uh, Bertie Ahern had with Tony Blair and yeah, Brian Cowan sure. had with, with, with Gordon Brown mm. then as well, uh, I think was very, very important. And into Kenny as well with David Cameron. Mm. I think there was good relationships there. Bertie Ahern doesn't seem to buy what Michal Martin is trying to sell here in terms of why he's continuing in this relationship. And uh, I didn't hear his comments about that mm-hmm. actually, but look, I mean, we have to make the decision. We're the ones there now and the decision has to be taken by us. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a difficult decision. It has to be said with Bertie Ahern, you know, okay, there were significant majorities at that time, uh, but there were five-year governments were three years into it now at the moment. Mm. Uh, he was suggesting that it's to do with the opinion polls. Well, I wouldn't say that. I mean, look, the truth is, if you if you if you are to believe opinion polls, and let's let's be honest, most people do pay some regard to them. Mm. Uh, Fianna Fáil is up significantly in polls at the moment as to where we would have been before the twenty sixteen election. Then, in the twenty sixteen election, like most other elections in the last ten to fifteen years, we have significantly outperformed polls mm. when it comes to actual elections. So, no, the polling situation uh, doesn't concern us. Uh, mm. What concerns us is the national interest. Clearly, there's a party interest as well, but that has to be secondary. Well, to the you would interest. say that, though, wouldn't you? What Bertie Hearn said was that uh, an election over over the next few months would probably give something of the same seats that we have. And Michal Martin probably looked at that and said, well, what's the point? Well, what I think he said, what Michal actually said was, what's the point of having an election and then up to four months, maybe more, of negotiations for the government between the election mm. campaign and government negotiations? And everything then is put on hiatus. The government doesn't really have the authority then to be dealing with issues. Maybe emergency legislation mm. comes up, can't be dealt with, etc. Uh, so so that's mm. actually the situation. But, but you see, the reason that Bertie Ahern has come to that conclusion is because he doesn't know the answer to the question that I've been putting to you. What did Fianna Fáil get out of this? He said Fianna Fáil uh, are are going into this, but uh, what did they get out of it? Uh, and uh, that uh, the renewal was given on the basis of no real agreement or anything. Yeah, it's and that's it is difficult for us. Uh, there is the conference supply agreement there already, and there's a number of items in there where you'd mm. be the first to, to challenge me that haven't been delivered. So we've mm. got to focus on making sure that they're delivered. Rural broadband, mm. obviously the housing crisis, get further progress, the health uh, service as well, uh, legislation. It looks bad. Though, I mean, it's one thing when John McGuinness and Mark McSharia. I mean, that's very bad in itself. 
Uh, sorry, it's not, sorry, Michael. It's not bad to have two members of the parliamentary party with different views. Talk about that propping up uh, Fine Gael government. It's, it's, that's, that's, imploring that's Michael of, Martin not to do it. But that's one way of putting it, propping up. But there's different ways of putting it. That's what mm. they say. They, they implore Michael Martin not to do it. Mm. You know, I'm happy to trust his judgment. I think that he is, generally speaking, mm. taking the right strategic decisions for the country and for the party over the last mm. number of years. Yeah. And I have to say... And your over, former leader saying you got nothing out of it. Well, look, I mean, if I if I were here just to find what our former leader is saying, I think he'd be challenging me again oh, then as to course, why, why yeah. you're standing up for Bertie, like, etc. So, look, mm, you know, you can't mm, have it both mm. ways. I think, I think Michal has explained, I've explained the difficult circumstances that we find, the country finds itself in, uh, and Fianna Fáil's obligation to do what is the right mm. thing for the country. All right, Lisa Chambers said uh, there would have been an election this year if it was not for Brexit. Yeah, uh, said that too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and if uh, Brexit happens on the 31st of March, uh, there will be an election next year, will there? No, we we haven't said that. We think 2019 is, is, is ruled out at this mm. point, is what we've said. Now, okay. The teacher can decide himself at any time to have an election. You know, there were a number of times over the last six months where he was, you know, okay. they were well, threatening be- elections. Regina Doherty was threatening elections at mm-hmm. one point as well. Never phased us. We've always said, we will do what's the right thing for the country and okay. the right thing for us. So, and I think we've done that. So you'll see this through to the next budget? Oh, absolutely. Mm. And, we, uh, and, and, we, and we will use mm. our influence as all to make sure that our budget priorities are, are put forward as well. And what, as about your, what about your election candidates then in the local elections and the European elections? Because we have elections next year yeah. regardless. Uh, are they going to be asked if they're Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael? They're Fianna Fáil candidates and yeah. they're, out, they're out looking for votes as Fianna Fáil candidates. Uh, the who do they, they do. represent? They what do they well, represent? They represent they what rep- do they stand they for? They represent their party, they represent their communities, they represent hard work. It's a difficult on the question, though, that it's they're not asked. A, it's not, sorry, I've answered it. It's not a difficult question at all. Okay. They, have, they are fighting for Fianna Fáil values, which is the values of community, mm. which is the values of an Ireland for all, which is the values of bringing us all together, not splitting the whole country apart. That's what we're about. It's about the national interest. And they're out campaigning every day as we speak. All right, and we'll leave it there for the moment. And thank you indeed for coming in to us this morning. Fianna Fáil TD for Mid-East, Thumbsburn. Michael Reed on LMFM. More than 10,000 hospital staff have been assaulted over a 10-year period running from 2008 to 2018. Paul Bell, SIP2 Health Divisional Organiser, joins us now. Good morning to you, Paul, and thanks uh, for joining us. Good morning, us. Michael. These figures come from the HSE, uh, and uh, the vast majority of staff who've been assaulted working in hospitals are nurses, apparently. Yes, uh, it seems that over 70% of reported assaults uh, are nursing staff. And, of course, the the headline figure there, Michael, is 10,744 recorded since 2008. Uh, But locally, uh, to look at the figure recorded from the 4th of January 2018, uh, you would see that some 195 assaults have been reported uh, in the Dublin North East area, which includes, of course, includes uh, Our Lady of Lords Hospital, Drogheda, Our Lady Ladies Navin and indeed Loud County Hospital. So, a uh, very, very significant uh, figure there. And again, that's only of recorded assaults. That does not also include the fact that some members suffer fairly high levels and aggressive levels of verbal abuse also. Mm, well, I'm sure there's uh, lots of that that goes unrecorded. But you mentioned unrecorded uh, assaults. Uh, I, I gather from what you're saying uh, that people are assaulted and don't report it. Yes, yeah, see, they're assaulted and don't report it, or there's a verbal abuse that's not covered as, as an assault, even though it may be somewhat threatening. Uh, there may also be incidents where 
uh, members of staff feel better not to report it because uh, for one reason or another they may feel that it will distract them from the work that they're actually involved in, especially if they're in an overcrowded emergency department or they're in an area where maybe patients are difficult or there may be alcohol use or there may be mental health issues. And sometimes that's why these issues are not reported. But again, what is worrying, Michael, is that uh, the violence in, in our society is actually showing up in other areas of the workplace, such as obviously transport, as the program would have covered on many occasions, where people are working in the transport industry feel that they're prone to assault. But now these figures confirm that it's an everyday occurrence that there's violence in the workplace in the health service. And it's very, very worrying, especially in light of the fact that this sometimes results in people either going off on sick leave or they may suffer an injury which they would not be available for work for some lengthy period of time. Not to mention, obviously, the mental impact on, on health workers who are at the, uh, at, the, at the wrong end of the assault. Well, I don't think any of us ever want to be assaulted at yeah. any time in our lives, uh, let alone when you're in work and let alone if your job is uh, to care for the sick uh, and sometimes people who've been assaulted themselves for that matter. Uh, are the guards ever called uh, when this happens? Absolutely. Uh, and this is where another uh, flaw we believe representing health workers lies. Uh, health workers who are assaulted, be they uh, nursing staff, doctors, ambulance personnel, and in this um, in this particular report, it also identifies a high level of support staff who are uh, actually assaulted, and these are people who are providing the food stuff, so mm-hmm. they may be porters uh, or people performing household duties, which is an, an interesting figure in itself. So it doesn't really matter what uh, grade you're involved in the health service, even if you're clerical, you are prone to be assaulted. Uh, the guards are called, obviously, and the guards treat this as a normal uh, common assault. but the issue that we've had in talking to various ministers over the last number of years is that we believe that assault on health staff should be treated similar as it would be treated as an assault, I'll say, on a member of Gardaíshia Corner. What seems to happen now is that if there's an assault, the guards will, will come if they're called, obviously. If they have to make an arrest, they will do so. Mm. Uh, and then, of course, then it's up to the staff member to make a formal complaint and go through the normal process of trying to address um, the, the uh, incident that they were, uh, had suffered. The problem with that is it's time-consuming. It's extremely stressful. Uh, it also leads to other difficulties for the staff member because sometimes they're afraid they may be confronted by that individual again who may present themselves for medical treatment. Uh, also, Michael, and some of our actions in the emergency department, and that's mainly what's been talked about in the last number of months with regard to assaults, uh, we have a lot of security personnel in some of these departments. Mm. Not everyone, but if you uh, visit hospitals in Drogheda, on Dundalk, or uh, the big ones in Dublin over the weekends in particular, you will see, uh, in some cases, a fair heavy presence of security officers uh, involved uh, in supporting the staff in those areas. And that itself demonstrates mm. that there's a, 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 a potential danger uh, to, uh, of being assaulted. Indeed, uh, you'll see in uh, some of the hospitals uh, that you need to be buzzed in to get into the emergency department. Absolutely. In some cases, some people are told, actually, in certain cases, that they'll be treated outside, mm. uh, outside of the emergency department because the staff feel like having, uh, having uh, permanently vetted them. They would say, listen, you're not safe to come in here because there's a threat of an assault being committed, mm. which will either injure a staff member or a fellow patient, and some very sick people mm. in those areas. But well, uh, the other big problem, Michael, has been that 
people suffering, say, from injuries or from uh, excess use of alcohol mm. coming to this time of year do present at hospital, and that does give rise to uh, uh, basically unacceptable beha- behaviour which leads to assault or leads to a very big disruption either in the emergency department mm. or, or in the grounds of the hospital. And what part do drugs play in all of this? Uh, because uh, hospitals have drugs, uh, maybe not uh, the type of drugs people would normally associate with addicts, uh, but addicts would be very interested in some of the drugs hospitals have, painkillers, morphine and that sort of thing. Absolutely. Um, uh, some people present on the basis uh, of, the, of demanding uh, to, to, to be given drugs, uh, or also demanding in, in some in some cases the equipment that they can administer drugs to themselves, such as syringes or needles, mm. that has not been uh, found to be unusual. And of course, then um, members of staff would refuse that, and then that kicks off in, into a bad situation. But also, you're, you're correct. Uh, some attempts are made by people who are using drugs to come to the hospital to either maybe even steal drugs. That is also a, a continual problem. Mm. But uh, again, most of society's problems, I suppose, do end up either in the emergency department of a hospital or in an ambulance service um, a vehicle, mm. or they end up uh, in a place where basically maybe they shouldn't be treated at all. The other issue coming to Christmas, of course, Michael, is that there's you know, a fairly heavy use of alcohol. Some people feel that the only place they can go then if they wish to go uh, for treatment, have maybe maybe overdone it on the night, mm. it's to represent themselves at, at the accident emergency department. Uh, what has happened in the United Kingdom is that uh, people who are suffering from the effects of alcohol or have sustained an injury through maybe a fall with, with alcohol, uh, certain um, units have been set up in the United Kingdom under a, the National Health Service. A drunk tank. Division. Uh, well, I suppose that's the old-fashioned name, the yeah. drunk tank, mm. but it's a, it's a way of treating people who either basically need to, to a bit of a rest. Is SIP too looking for that? Uh, no, it's something that we've been discussing with mm. the... Uh, it, with it's the, dangerous. I think that there's a, a, a consensus or there's a strong opinion that it is dangerous because uh, you may be overlooking uh, something else because somebody is drunk. Well, not, not necessarily. I mean, what's, what has happened in the United Kingdom, and it's worked very well, where it's been piloted is uh, those patients are screened. In other words, if they have suffered a certain type of injury that treatment mm-hmm. is then recommended. So you're screening people. We're not saying that everybody that presents uh, with, uh, with alcohol is, is, is going to be a potential problem to the staff. But the point being made is if you attend any accident emergency department Friday or Saturday night or Sunday night or over public holidays, you will see a lot of people presenting mm-hmm. who are posing a threat to themselves and also to the staff. Mm-hmm. The National Health Service in the United Kingdom have uh, uh, piloted these schemes where they feel that people need to be referred on. They can be. Mm-hmm. And if they feel they just need to be rested uh, and sleep it off, well, then that can be also done. But what what is becoming more and more difficult, Michael, is to actually make the health service uh, a safer place to walk. And what these figures are showing mm. is that a certain part of the country uh, that there are certain difficulties and there are certain uh, issues that are developing and are not being addressed. I know, uh, and it is getting that balance, isn't it? And very important yes. to make it a safe place to work, uh, but very important that it doesn't become unsafe uh, for patients. Uh, if uh, conditions are overseen because of the fact that they're drunk and put in somewhere to sleep it off in a, a drunk tank. Well, I think that that's not what I'm saying. It's the National Health Service. Oh, no, well, no, no, nobody would say that. No, no, no but, well, but that's the concern that people would have. Well, there will be a concern that could be dissuaded because at the end of the day, people are entitled to treatment. Uh, if somebody feels that they've either overdone it on uh, using alcohol, mm. 
and they've had an injury or something, but then they can be screened without having to go to the emergency department. If they then have to go to the emergency department for uh, for treatment, but then they're referred there. Mm. But what's going on at the moment is you may have a number of people, even a small group of people, who present in the emergency department, maybe even bring their friends with them, mm. and then you have a certain situation kicking off. You've got very ill people and distressed people in the in the area, and that does them no good, and then you have potential for violence. There's one other point, Michael, which yeah. should be made, if I could, uh, because it's not all related to um, what goes on in, the, in, a, in, a, in an acute setting. Mm. There are lots of people out there too who are at home suffering from mental illness, and it's very, very difficult, obviously, to care for people if they're in their home, and uh, some people who are assaulted are nurses or care workers who have to go and attend to these people who may not be using their medication. There has been an increase of, uh, of that type of assault over the last number of years, where sometimes people who are meant to be supervised in the home to take medication just basically fall off the radar, mm. and it's very, very concerning, but it is a situation that has been developing. If we are going to have community care, people being cared for in their homes, that means they, they also have to receive the same level of attention as if they were having that care in an institution or a hospital. So that's also been witnessed. We've seen people uh, being assaulted because people have been mentally unwell. We've seen care workers being assaulted or people, even if the ambulance service called, they may mm. find themselves being the subject of, of a, an unforeseen assault. All right. Uh, well, I couldn't help but think of a, a time when they had to take alcohol out of the gel that they had in the hand cleansers yes. in our Lady of Lourdes Hospital. So desperate are people for alcohol. But is it always because of intoxication or mental health problems uh, is there stress involved uh, because we've heard that with ambulance uh, personnel uh, that they arrive and people have been waiting so long for an ambulance that they're agitated uh, emergency departments uh, you need to be patient in them as well Absolutely. You see, uh, this, this, the structure we have, don't forget, it's not just alcohol related. We have a lot of people presenting too under the influence of various substances uh, which may give a reaction mm. to the person who's taking them. But and people are just sick sometimes and cranky and are asked to waste maybe a day to be seen. Well, I would suggest here, Michael, that the level of assaults that are being uh, identified by the health service yeah. executives are not predominantly with people who are being cranky. Okay. I, I would suggest that yeah. most people who most people who come to the emergency department are there because there actually is no other treatment centre to go. There's no minor injury mm-hmm. unit. There's no medical assessment unit. There's no primary care uh, system. They have to go to the emergency department, and this obviously has been a, a continual problem over the years where people present at the hospital mm-hmm. because there actually is nowhere else to go and in some cases in some cases not all cases there may be no doctor on call service available either but it, the action in the emergency department the hospital setting should be a safe place for the public and indeed for those who walk, walk there trying and, to and if you assault uh, if you assault somebody in a hospital a, a, a hospital worker yes. uh, is it a, a special offence if you go down to emergency department with a sore toe and end up yes. punching a, a nurse is that different than punching somebody on the street well it seems to be it's been treated like it's a, an assault on the street it has right. been treated as such, and that there needs to be a, a you know a, a deterrent on that. But, but as you can see, Michael, violence in society is increasing. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're a member of Angarish, you can't remember the public, a health worker. There is a potential to become involved. Uh, in a, a violent incident which has nothing to do with you you just seem to be in the wrong place at the wrong time and I think what's happened over the last number of years is that 
it's been a fairly soft or very not focused approach to protecting health workers except to keep deploying maybe additional security personnel into these places or indeed a reliance on the guards but the problem is there is that the assault has already taken place and obviously it's very very difficult to say to somebody look I cannot treat you because I feel you're a threat to me and that's what health workers are confronted with all the time but when people go to these places they should understand the staff are there trying to do their very best with the resources that they have and there's no excuse for violence or indeed uh, aggressive verbal uh, behaviour either. All right, I have to leave it there, Paul. Thanks uh, for joining Thank us. Much, As Michael. always, Paul Bell, SIPSU Health Divisional Organiser. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, I know people have said to us, will you stop talking about Brexit? Uh, but we're going to talk about Brexit and uh, the editorial in the Irish Independent, actually, which uh, says it's all Sinn Féin's fault or amounts uh, to that uh, as such. Uh, the headline over it is Sinn Féin's failure on Brexit will be recorded in history. And uh, the editorial says Sinn Féin correctly argues its voters are well aware of its policy on not taking up any Westminster seats. It wins. Uh, and it's uh, uh, this uh, position of abstentionism uh, that uh, the paper questions uh, and quotes John Bruton and a speech that he gave uh, to mark the 1918 general election in which he, he said uh, that they could have made a key contribution on Brexit as taking up seats would have neutralised the DUP's veto on the outcome of the negotiations. This editorial also talks about the argument that Sinn Féin has been making that uh, if uh, they were to take up their seats then Tory MP would vote in the opposite direction and uh, the paper seems to be suggesting that this is Sinn Féin spin and uh, that uh, Sinn Féin handlers have circulated that memo widely. Let's talk about uh, this and some related matters with Sinn Féin MEP Matt Carthy. Good morning to you and thanks uh, for joining us here on the programme uh, this morning. Uh, I suppose that spells out... Good morning. Well, good morning, Michael. I didn't see that editorial in the Independent, but thank you for reminding me why I don't read that particular paper. Do you Uh, not read it at all? I very rarely, very rarely, the odd time a link might come up on my Twitter or Facebook. Feed. When, when you Google Matt Carthy, is it? <laughs> but, but quite, quite clearly, I'm uh, too modest to do such a thing. But in terms of the paper, obviously, has a political agenda, as does John Bruton. Make no mistake about it, if he was around in 1918, John Bruton would be a Redmanite. I don't even think he'd be insulted by me saying that. Mm. Um, so let's make no bones about it. it is a remarkable position. Week. It is a remarkable position for a national newspaper to take. And I, I, I know uh, that uh, you can argue uh, that uh, it is a paper within an agenda. And I think a lot of people would buy up to that. But even with that agenda, uh, it is a remarkable editorial, isn't it? It's not surprising at all, to be quite frank about it. Um, let's remember, if the Irish Independent editorials were what we would go by, we wouldn't have had the Hume Adams talks we wouldn't have therefore had the peace process and we wouldn't have had the progress that we've seen in the interim period. The independent newspapers going back as far as the 1990s were very critical of John Hume for engaging in dialogue mm. with Jerry Adams and other Republicans. So that's the agenda that they've had from that point. And we can have the discussion, if you like, in relation to Sinn Féin's abstentionist policy. But we listened to the past number of months about um, people telling Sinn Féin MPs to break their pledge, to break a hundred-year-old principle in relation to swearing allegiance to a foreign monarch in order to be able to get Theresa mm. May's deal over the line, only to see this day last week Theresa May enter in Westminster and admit that she was short of a majority, not by the seven Sinn Féin votes, Mm. but by well over 100 votes 
So the truth of the matter is that in this respect, even if Sinn Féin were to do what um, it would be unthinkable to many of the people who support us, it would certainly be unthinkable to me, which would be to have our MPs stand in a room and swear allegiance to a foreign monarch a hundred years after um, the landslide election of 1918 when Irish history was turned on its head as a result of the people of Ireland um, across Ireland making the decision that they no longer wanted their MPs to do that. But even if we were to to humour people for a minute and discuss that, the truth of the matter is that it wouldn't make any difference in relation okay. to the arithmetic. Well, it, it seems it won't make any difference in the have been doing coming days because that vote has been deferred on the draft agreement until January. Uh, there may be other votes this week. There may be a confidence vote in Mrs May. Do you think uh, that we'll get to the Christmas break without anything particularly significant happening? When it comes to Brexit over the past number of years, you would be loath to suggest that there is any such thing as a quiet week Mm. because every time that we've had this conversation within hours in some instances, certainly within days, there has been some new development. The one thing that we do know is that confusion reigns in relation to British politics and we do know, um, and this has been Sinn Féin's consistent point, that the place that we need to be advocating on behalf of the people of Ireland, North and South, is first instance in the Dáil and in the second instance at the European level and that's where Sinn Féin have been focusing on our attention. So while others have been using Brexit very disappointingly because Mm. Sinn Féin have been very very clear that we will work with the government. We have commended the government when we thought that they've taken the right line. We've been critical of them and we've confronted them when we felt that they haven't been strong enough in relation to uh, um, to de- defending Ireland's interests and protecting the interests of the people in the North in, per- in particular. But we have always put party political considerations to, a, to one side when we've been dealing with this issue because we know how important this is and we know how potentially devastating and, um, and the consequences of a bad Brexit or a no Brexit deal could be for the people of Ireland. Uh, and what do you think uh, when you hear David Lidgington and others coming out and saying, uh, uh, I wouldn't support a, a second referendum, uh, do you think that means there's going to be a second referendum? I don't know. I really don't know. Um, I would have thought last week that a second referendum was more likely. It appears now that Theresa May and the people around her have reinforced and re-entrenched themselves to the position that there won't be. Um, And I think they have been talking up the prospect of social unrest following any second um, referendum that they're likely going to see such unrest happening. But the truth of the matter is, if the people of Britain. And remember this, Mm. it's the people of England and Wales who voted to leave the European Union. The people in the north of Ireland voted very emphatically to remain and that position has been consistent in every poll that has been taken place since. But if they've decided to leave, in my view, um, understanding how European politics works and looking at the overall broad picture in relation to the machinations that have happened since that vote, they can't get a better deal than actually is is on hand for them. And certainly the deal in relation to the people of the North is not perfect. There's lots of areas that I would have liked to have seen um, being in place and put in place much stronger, particularly in relation to the rights of Irish citizens, therefore EU citizens, who happen to live um, across um, a line that was drawn in a a map as a result of a previous government's failure to acknowledge and respect the democratic wishes of people in Ireland. those people's rights are not protected as part of the backstop. There are lots of other areas, issues to do with services that we've talked about quite a number of times that aren't dealt with. But the truth of the matter is that Brexit is going to be bad 
for Ireland. Any Brexit is going to be bad for Ireland and particularly for the north of Ireland. What the backstop does is minimise the potential damage that will be caused and that's why the backstop is so important and that's why it has mm. rightly been determined by the European Union that it's non-negotiable. Do you think that people will be asked to vote again though? Who knows, Michael? Mm. The truth is, I, I don't know. Um, do you believe the denials or do you believe the reports uh, that Mr Lidington was meeting with uh, Labour Party MPs? I think it would be ludicrous on the part of a British government if they weren't considering every option. They have a situation now in Westminster where it's clear there isn't a majority for anything. So I can understand why British politicians and British um, political operatives will be looking at all the different options. Whether or not they are or not, I simply don't know. There have been conflicting media reports over the weekend, as you say, there have mm. been suggestions that Mr. Liddington has been um, in discussions with Labour MPs. The Labour Party themselves haven't got a firm position in relation to a second referendum. Um, so it's quite clear that there isn't a majority for that even yet within the, within the Westminster Parliament. The only thing that there appears to be um, a majority for is in opposition to a no-deal Brexit. The difficulty is that in order to have a no deal, um, to avoid a no deal Brexit, either one or two things needs to happen. Either the Parliament accepts the deal that is on hand or the Parliament votes to hold another referendum. There's a third, um, there, there's a third scenario that mm. some are advocating that there would be a renegotiation of the current deal. But as we all saw last week and what we saw reaffirmed in the European Council meeting, um, at the weekend was that that is not an option that is open for consideration by okay. the EU and therefore it reverts back to the other two but as I say the fact that there isn't a majority for either of those positions at the moment mm. um, just spells further uncertainty and the people who will be getting caught up in all of this potentially will be um, the Irish people and then particularly okay. those who um, live in the north and in the border region and those whose livelihoods depend on being able to operate on an all-Ireland cross-border basis. Alright, I have to leave there run over time uh, you should uh, actually don't uh, try googling Matt Carthy you'd be there a long time and nearly half a million results <laughs> <laughs> right. and I'm sure LMFM comes up a number of times thanks okay. for having me thank on, you Michael. indeed as always Matt Carthy Sinn Féin MEP brings our programme to its conclusion God willing we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am bye bye The Michael Reed Show podcast tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM to contact us email now Michael at lmfm.ie